Hello, everyone. Welcome to Two Sides HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Davis. Today, I'm speaking with Vidi Sanders, Head of Participant Engagement at Capital Group, home of American Funds. She has 16 years of industry experience and has been with Capital Group for three years. Prior to joining Capital, Vidi led affluent investor marketing for Merrill Lynch Wealth Management and also led strategic marketing for global commercial banking at Bank of America. She holds a master's degree in information science from Drexel University and a bachelor's degree in information science from Florida State University. Today, Vidi is here to discuss a new program called I Can Retire, which helps companies better engage their employees and aims to improve retirement readiness for all. Let's get started. Thank you so much, Vidi, for joining me today. All right. So, yeah, just to begin with, you know, why should companies care if employees do plan properly for retirement? So, I mean, why should people care? Why should companies care about their employees and whether they're planning effectively for retirement. I think at Capital Group, we care. Um, That's our mission, right? Everything we do is guided by that mission. We know that, you know, we're assuming a great amount of responsibility when aspects of people's futures are based on their investment choices. Um, But that's not everybody's mission. But I think there are a few uh, reasons why they should care or do care. And one of them is pretty altruistic. And some actually do care about the well-being of their employees. I mean, they really actually do. I mean, for for example, uh, we work with a large client in New Jersey, the largest health care system in in the state of New Jersey. And they don't want to see a nurse that's given countless hours of their days and nights over many years to the care of their patients and other people, you know, retire without the proper nest egg or the proper understanding of what to do with that nest egg when they retire. And that that's important to them. When you think about it from a business standpoint, you know, having your employees plan properly and achieve reliable on-time retirements allows you to continue to operate at optimal levels. There's this delicate balance between tenured and mature talent with those that are newer to the workforce. And it is a delicate balance, but um, your ability to stay competitive in your market and sustain productivity depends on that balance. Good answers. Uh, thank you for that. The question was a little bit of a trap because it's like there's always these benefits brokers out there that, you know, the answer is always we're going to save you money somehow by getting in- employees to engage in, in their benefits in general. And I think that's true in many cases. You know, obviously, if people are using their health benefits, they're saving money in the long term or, or if they're using their mental health benefits or, the, you know, retirement's one of those weird ones, though. And I don't know if I've ever gotten a good answer before, because once the employee has left the organization from a sort of a logical standpoint or maybe just a pragmatic standpoint, you know, the relationship's done. In the introduction, you mentioned that your goal is to get employees to better uh, engage with their retirement plans. What would you say the state of retirement saving in this country is right now? Does it need improvement? Um, I would say, yes, it needs improvement. It's getting better. Um, but I would say it does need improvement and it really varies on who you are, how you were brought up and the level of knowledge or understanding you have about your responsibility for your financial future. Right. And I think so many people, um, 
don't have that background, um, don't get that educate. You know, we don't teach it in schools, like how to take care of your future. And, you know, long gone are the days of um, where we had, you know, you were taken care of, you had a pension yeah. plan, right? And all of a sudden, this responsibility is on us. And we don't really, we aren't really equipped with the information um, or understanding for what to do with it. So, I mean, I see, I mean, I take my, my, my own parents, I look at my own parents who, uh, retired because they were at that age or, you know, they had health issues. Um, one of them is on social security. Um, you know, the other one had a little bit more of a nest egg, but you know, these are people that didn't, um, save properly. And I I can't say that it's much better for, for younger people, um, or new generations. Um, and, and that has a lot to do too with just, the way we live. I mean, our lives are so much busier. They're so much fuller um, in terms of, you know, what we want to do, what we want to have, um, what experiences we want our families to have. Um, and so it's really hard for people to focus on planning for the future when their current plate is already very full. Very true. And I think that generally speaking, it can be very difficult to I think, I think it's a human quality to plan for now and tomorrow, but not for 10 years from now, mm-hmm. 20 years from now. Those times feel like they'll never be here. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, or I guess in the same, kind of really in the same boat, is a, I know a lot of people, and I realize this is anecdotal, that cashed in their 401ks in the last couple of years, people my age. And that was always shocking to me that, mm-hmm. that you know, it just goes to... You know, for whatever reason, um, financial challenges or or usually for that reason, but or they don't see the value of it. You know, they've worked for however long and they have forty thousand dollars in there and they think, well, I can't retire on forty thousand dollars. So, and, you know, and that was besides Social Security. That's what they have, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's a number of people. And it just goes to show that kind of mentality behind. Well, that's future me's problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, me. We'll take the take the forty thousand dollars right now. Yep, it's really hard um, in today's environment. With, I mean, we live in a very consumerist culture, um, and I don't see that getting any better. I mean, I see uh, a lot of I do see some books and documentaries and stuff coming out about minimalism and things like that, but I just think we're so far from that. Um, so this, we have to figure out a way to swing the pendulum back a little bit and help people see. Uh, the value in curtailing some of the day-to-day uh, expenses and the instant gratification for tomorrow. That is quite the challenge. Um, there's a whole industries whose job is to not have people think that way, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise that we're in the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. You're right about the consumerist nature of our lives. That being said, you know, based on your experiences, what would you say the most common challenges and hurdles for folks saving for retirement is besides those that we sort of already lighted on? I think there's a real, uh, there's a couple of things. There's these like knowledge and emotional, um, you know, mind state and emotional barriers. And then there's just like pure lack of um, ability to save or um, ability to know how to save. And I, I think, you know, we've talked to people all over the country from, different occupations, all different income levels and ages. And what you see a lot of is, you know, if you don't work in the financial services industry, which I would guess most people don't, 
you don't have a solid understanding of what a 401k is or how investing works. It feels like a black hole. And although most people think that way, they people think that they're the only ones that think that way. So there's all this shame that's like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want people to know that I don't get it. Um, and I don't want to sound stupid or um, I don't, I don't want people to know that I don't have anything saved or I don't have as much saved as people think that I should have saved. So I'd rather avoid all of that embarrassment and just, you know, keep doing what I'm doing or not doing. So I think there's, there's that aspect of it, that lack of um, that shame that's, that stems from the lack of knowledge. Um, And then I think it's, uh, Well, another thing is the complexity. So we have a ton of complexity in the system, just in how we talk about it. And I don't think, I don't think there's any short, there's no shortage of trying, right? Like there's no shortage of communications, education, articles, wellness tools. It's all there. Uh, But what we found is it's not effective because we're making it so complicated and it's just not, it's not resonating with people not only is the language like beyond, it goes way over people's heads. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm in a conversation with my family or friends and I tell them what I do and I'm in the business of breaking this down into a simple way to talk about it. I mean, I've, I tend to find myself speaking over people and we're face to face, let alone trying to read an article or trying to navigate through from platform to platform and find my, password and then try to figure out, you know, how I change my contribution and what, what I should put it in, uh, what vehicle I should put it in. So there's a lot of complexity there. So I would say that there's all this inertia around from that stems from like these emotions. And then there's also a a lot of complexity um, that even if people do get motivated enough to do it, um, they might, you know, delay or quit uh, because they just, have been met with a lot of uh, hurdles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is complicated. When when I first started my first job where I had a four hundred one k, you know, I'd heard the term of course before. Was not had not done any investing of any kind before that, so I wasn't really familiar with the, the sort of the underlying principles. I think I went to about three or four different workshops because the same workshop because it would just make no sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and then what I think part of it was that it was hard for me to believe that the solution is, is that I have to gamble on the stock market in order to retire. Uh, I think that's from a you know my personal opinion is that that's there's something wrong with that. So you know the, the what I learned was like oh my really that's the we just have to hope that it all pans out. You know, but then I was like okay well they're fairly safe bets and you can look into the funds and you can you can pick easy plans like the red plan or the green plan, you know, and and sort of take that concern and just let the whatever company that's handling it do it for you, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, it was it was quite a bit. Uh, I had to, you had to be dedicated. Meanwhile, those paychecks get sh- smaller and smaller every time you're contributing from them. I think what you what you mentioned with the gamble, right? I mean, there's that also stems from like not really understanding long term investing, which most people don't. And I I think this is why it's so important to help our, the younger generation, which I know. You had called, you had mentioned uh, being invisible, immortal, they're going to live forever. You know, 
they have the benefit of time. And I mean, that's something you just can't get back. And so it's helping it's helping people understand how long-term investing works, what risks are taken into account, looking at you know trends over uh, years and years and how it works, and that these vehicles are designed to weather that kind of storm. And the earlier you start, the better. You know, I can't go back and contribute more, and I wish I did, right? So I think that the storytelling in a relatable way to help people really see that point can be super effective, especially, yeah. I mean, if you look at compounding, uh, some examples out there, and there are tons of them, it could be pretty unbelievable uh, in certain cases. I mean, it's like, oh, I mean, you look at it and you're like, really? Like that can turn into that just from doing this and staying the course. And, and, you know, that, that's a point that a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just part of that same kind of, of thinking. I mean, there's a couple things going on there. One thing is, and this is maybe a personal issue. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that there's any way to make real money at all. You know, like, I know it's that may sound weird, but it's like, there's always someone that's figured out the game to make it so that it's hard for you to make money. Like you can't just go out and sell stuff, right? Like you got to start a business and you got to get your taxes in order and you got to do, there's always something interfering with you. I, you know, I've tried to talk about this a bunch of times. I can never quite clear, clearly express it. It's something like, it almost seems like a magic trick to same thing with, with investing, um, particularly long-term investing. You know, how could it be that you take this little thing and it turns into a big thing without, of course, understanding compounding interest and the fact that they're designed for that, you know, it's it's not a straightforward thing. It's a curvaceous path and and very hard to explain. I mean, yeah, yeah, and especially if you don't understand, there's you got a lineup of a bunch of different investments to choose from. How do you know if you don't understand how it works? How do you know which one to choose? And you know, most people just you know a little twenty percent here, fifteen percent here. I do think that the target date fund has done a lot for simplifying that piece and just, you know, being able to explain to people that you pick the date that you think you want to, the year that you think you want to retire. And we balance out your risk based on how much time you have to invest. And that's based on a lot of experience, years and years of experience of knowing what the market's going to do, you know, how it recovers. And then you know, having a, a level of stability. I mean, most pe- most providers, most asset managers that are managing retirement money uh, don't take that for granted. It's, they're pretty careful uh, with people's retirement funds, right? And there's a lot of regulation around that as well. Absolutely. In uh, When we were preparing for this, you mentioned that you did some sort of pilot program. Would you mm-hmm. be comfortable talking about what that was, what the goal was, and sort of what you found? Sure. We did uh, the healthcare organization I mentioned in New Jersey. They have over 35,000 employees and they're a great client of ours. And when we set out and said, we want to figure out why people aren't saving enough for retirement or what they think about this. And that's where a lot of our conversation, what we've talked about has come from. Some of these feelings, the the barriers in the, in the system and, and that kind of thing. So what we set out to do with our client was we did some data analysis and put people into certain segments. And it was a simple segmentation framework based on their age and how much they were contributing in their plan. And when we looked at it, we found 
wow, you ha- we had almost 50% of the population, almost half that were sitting at this rate that they were auto-enrolled at and they had never touched it again. And we thought, wow, that's a lot of people sitting at 3%. Um, and I wonder why. And so we decided to take some of the, that segment and some other segments and go and talk to them. And, and so that's what we did. We ended up designing and developing a solution called I Can Retire to engage people. It's really warm and friendly, and it addresses a lot of things we were talking about. But we tested it. Um, it's tailored to these different segments that we developed. And uh, we have like a BuzzFeed style quiz that gets people engaged, right? Like it's just, what's your retirement animal? And what that did was it not only allowed us to collect some data from them so that we could tailor their experience to, you know, which animal they were, but it created all this buzz in the office place, in the workplace. It, you know, people were talking about it. I'm a fox. I'm a rabbit. I'm an owl. And I think that buzz really helped. Um, so when you think about the pilot, and I'll get to like more of the results, but like that buzz is just you you can't you can't buy that kind of buzz i think so that helped a lot and then once you got people into it and we're helping them understand the power of compounding the power of time and all those things we learned that i guess through all that research there were three things that we knew we had to do in the development of i i can retire we knew whatever we developed had to be accessible it had to be tailored at least, if not totally customized, like relatable to the individual. And it had to be super easy to take action on. And mm. when I say accessible, I mean, no download of an app, no logins. I can access it from anywhere at any time. So I don't have to be at work. I don't have to check my work email to get to it. So we designed uh, the pilot. One main component of it was like, how can we get people engaged in this without them needing to sit at their work computer and figure it out? So that's what we mean by accessibility anywhere, anytime while I'm in line somewhere um, and reduce as much of the friction as you can. You don't have to download anything. And the other thing around relatability, you know, we talked about this a little bit. The language that we're using is not the language that most working Americans understand. So that has to be relatable. And historically, especially for, with these underserved segments that ha- don't have a history of really understanding this, it's like, how do we break this down in a way that's relatable to them? How do we bring in how are we delivering the content? I mean, who's, who is literally speaking in the videos? Is it someone that looks like they work at a financial institution or is it someone that looks and feels like me or her or him and speaks my language, right? And that's where you're going to build. There are these centers of influence um, that can really help us be, help us relate better to people. And then there's this idea of easy and just making it super easy to take that action once you have someone engaged, right? And they're like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. I don't know why I didn't do this before, or let me go in and increase my contribution. We don't want to send people on a wild goose chase to find the link, to understand their plan, and then log in. And so we have a one click to the record keeper that's like, you don't have to do anything else. All you have to do is click here. You will have to log in. But we found that doing those things, making it accessible from anywhere at any time, making it relatable and easy to take action on really helped. I mean, people told us that they, you know, sat at home with their, you know, partners or 
late at night when they couldn't sleep. And that's when they were looking at it. And it worked. We found that people that did that um, or that engaged with the program were twice as likely to increase their contribution compared with people who didn't engage with the program. And what was really interesting, I mentioned that group that was sitting at auto enroll. Yep. We called them the avoiders in the, in the quiz. They're the rabbits. <laughs> it was, we knew they were going to be the hardest to pull in because they just never, ever engage and they're young. So it's a lot of the younger folks, but what we, they were hard to engage. But what we found is when they engaged, they were three times as likely to increase their contribution compared to their peers. Wow. And, and that, yeah, and they, and hmm. they increased their contribution at 330% compared to um, their rate of contribution compared to their peers who did not engage with the program. So they were really understanding their, their position in that case. Yes, exactly. They're starting to, what we feel like we're starting to do is really understand people and how to resonate, right? And we still have so much work to do on this to pull people into the conversation. You can only do a BuzzFeed quiz so many times. So how are you going to continue to pull people in and resonate with them? But I think some of these things that we're hitting on are are starting are starting to work. This program that you have, is it like employers have to sign up for it? Is it at that stage? Is it it's free for employees? Is it free for anyone? What's the what's it look like? It is available through your employer. It's a value add that we offer to plan sponsors that have our target date series and offer our target date series to their employees. So it's completely value added. And it it's not just the platform, you know, that's white labeled completely. We, we don't have a brand goal in this at all. We don't have any brand objectives here. So you won't see Capital Group on here. You won't see American funds. It's really about creating that affinity between the employee and the employer. And the reason for that is one thing we found is that working Americans expect their employer to help them with this kind of thing. They they mm-hmm. expect them to help them, not just with retirement, but I've heard, you know, I wish they would help have helped me more when I was buying a house and help me understand what I'm supposed to do with my, you know, how do I get one of those college savings accounts? And I don't want to have to Google everything. Like, I feel like I give so much to my employer that there's an expectation of reciprocity beyond my paycheck, right? That you should be, people want to feel taken care of. And I think when those expectations are met, then there's trust that's built. And when those expectations are not meant, then there's no trust or the trust is lost. So a long way to say the reason why this is completely white labeled and about the plan sponsor and not us or the record keeper is because we want to create that affinity. We want employees to know that this is a benefit that your employer is providing to you. They care about you. They want you to have this information. So that's why, and it's it's available through employers and it's easy to take action from there. But the site, and we also do, there's a whole email campaign that we do and we, for, on behalf of our clients, we don't want to put more work on them. So we, we do that for them, but we also have a platform that's like not associated with uh, any plan sponsors. It's just like the generic, I can retire.com site. Anyone can use that. Anyone can use that to learn. Okay. You're just not going to necessarily be able to take action as easily as you would if it was with your employer, because there's no 
there's no link to your employer or your record keeper on there. Right, right. I think I might be a little bit rabbitish. You know, like I really got into it in the beginning. I actually picked all these individual funds and researched them and did my own grouping of high risk and low risk. And then we changed providers and they didn't do that anymore. Mm. Um, never mind the fact that, you know, things change too. And finally, I just picked, you know, the reason I brought up the color earlier, I just picked the color and was like, all right. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's like pick a color. And yeah, and so many people, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, you don't, you didn't really trust the system. You're like, oh, this is a gamble. Why would I do this? So I think opening up that, providing some clarity into that black hole, you know, that exists for so many people is what we try to do. <laughs> yeah. That's really important. It's really important. Uh, what What's your animal? I think I was a fox. Candidly, I haven't done it in a while because I was under 50 and saving, like doing a little. I said I was doing a little. I probably could do some more. And uh, I spend. I, lo- I like to spend. So <laughs> I- I'm not I'm not totally on the beginning, like I'm doing something, but I could probably do better like most people. But again, like where we started... I mean, I have a pretty full plate. <laughs> I'm really, you know, I have children, they have activities and I want a social life and, you know, it's it all adds up, you know, and you want to, yeah. you don't want to totally, uh, you don't want to be so conservative to the point that you're not enjoying your life, you know, so there is a balance. <laughs> I have a friend, I'll keep it anonymous, but if he listens to this, he's going to know talking about him he he and his wife they're both very successful i mean they're they're doing great quite proud of those guys Um, but when they first moved into their home uh they did some severe number crunching i mean extreme budgeting and it was temporary so it was like for one year they had to stick to this budget until some other things changed and they were able to sort of unlock their they're spending a little bit and he'd be like all right after everything i got 15 dollars for me this this week and like fifteen dollars, you know, and he's like, I'm gonna get half a sandwich and a beer, and it's yeah. like and it's all gone. Yeah, and you know, it was hard not to just rib him constantly for it because, of course, it was extremely prudent and their plan worked, and they have good investments and they have a house and they both have great jobs and you know they're they're all set <laughs> at least uh, as of right now because they could do that thing that I could never do. Yeah, it takes a lot of willpower to do that and be that prudent, and and also the fact that he and his wife are on the same page. Yeah, and they were both doing it. I mean, that makes a huge difference because if you and your partner are not on the same page, then that there goes half your ability to succeed. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I I do think there's there's balance. I mean, we we live life. You have to live life. You have to enjoy life. But there comes a point where it's you know, can you tailor it back a little bit? Is it excessive? Absolutely. Would you say that programs like these can also help companies actually attract or retain employees and how? Um, And can you talk about how long-term planning can be uh, sort of a solution for short-term challenges? It's a great and very important question because organizations have a finite, limited amount of resources. And, you know, why would you put resources, time and money towards retirement planning if you there are other priorities that could be potentially equally as important or seen as equally valuable but i do think that ultimately happy employees are productive employees and that productivity 
does translate to revenue, which I know you mentioned early that people try to make it about money. And it's, yeah. it's that's not the first and foremost thing, but I think ultimately you're going to get productivity, you're going to get business continuity. But if we also worked very closely with another organization that I won't name, but it's a big a fintech firm uh, where we actually quantified financial stress and what the cost of financial stress was. And so, you know, when you're when you're financially confident in your future, you're more productive at work and you're happy. Um, when you have financial stress, that takes away from your from your happiness. So I think that ultimately the short term kind of you know putting a retirement plan in place, helping people understand it, is going to deliver dividends in terms of your business productivity and that talent pool that we talked about before of just being able to refresh your talent, you're retaining talent, but you're also able to get help people retire when they're ready to retire. And then we'd also talked about expectations and trust. So, you know, if you're delivering a plan that helps people feel cared for, then you're going to get back, you know, an employee that's dedicated to you and loyal to you because they trust you, they feel taken care of. Um, And I think those are some of the uh, long-term benefits of, putting um, effort behind this. It's kind of funny how, not haha funny, but curious, mm-hmm. how um, sort of the tendencies of organizations mirror the tendencies of people. There's so many different kinds of things that organizations ha- tend to have trouble implementing because it's a long-term solution that doesn't have an immediate ROI. And so they take the quick or the short or the easy um, or even the required path, you know, depending if they have to deliver to their stakeholders of doing a, the short term win mm-hmm. at the expense of the long term, mm-hmm. the long term gains, which is exactly the way we we're talking about how a lot of people look at their retirement. You know, if I'm going to take 50 bucks out of my weekly paycheck to put into retirement. I could use that 50 bucks mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to get me five or six sandwiches, you know, um, <laughs> to go back to the way my friend looked at it. So, you know, it's interesting how they mirror each other, but it's really kind of like the same advice for both groups. I think I think it's a, a really interesting point because, you know, you do have limited amount of money to spend or invest in certain things. But that's where I think if you can get smart about leaning on some of your your vendors, your providers to do some work for you where you don't, you might have to invest a little bit of time to get, to get them to understand. And I mean like a really little bit of time, like we worked with one of our clients and they did give us some data. We analyzed a little bit and we worked with them to understand, you know, what their workplace environment looked like and that kind of thing in order to implement. But we did all the work and it didn't cost them anything. Right. So I think you got to lean on your, lean on your team. I tell my own team at work that, you know, it's like we only we have two people on our team, but we work with a bunch of partners. And I'm like, where can your partners help you? Like, you don't have to do all this yourself. I think it's getting creative about that. Well, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure, Vidi, talking with you today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Listeners, your support means a lot to me. I will be releasing the next episode in two weeks. You can listen to it anywhere. Links to my various channels are in the description. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with Two Sides HR.